0: Welcome to Coffee and Circuses, episode 19. This week I'm joined by Giacomo Savani from the University of Leeds, recorded when Giacomo was down here at Kent to give us a talk on his main subject area, Roman baths in Britain. On today's show he talks about his recent article in the journal Britannia, which looks at the rediscovery of Roman bars by antiquarians in the 18th century and how for years everyone was misled by a wall painting that they all thought was Roman but was actually produced for an unpublished translation of Vitruvius, the famous Roman architect, centuries later. A reminder that you should always go back and check your sources. We also discussed the recently released book, Roman Lester, that Giacomo not only contributed to as an archaeologist but also did the wonderful artwork for and as such the benefits of drawing on your creative side when studying the past. Giacomo is quite the renaissance man, not only being a published scholar and artist, but also having published some short stories as well. You might even say he's a Giacomo of all trades. Just a quick reminder, registration for track 2019 here at Kent next month closes on Friday the 29th of March so you've only got a short while to do that unless you're listening to this off in the future sometime in which case well this is redundant but anyway you haven't got that long left now uh, from the time of recording to register so if you want to join us next month for track and it's going to be a good conference uh, please get around to doing it in the really near future so as always thank you for joining me and on to the show And you just keep hearing this thudding noise in the background, but yeah. So anyway, though, <laughs> see, see what I mean? Like, you just, it's so hard not to do it. Like, you emphasize by doing it. I like, okay, I'll go sit like this now. I loved it.
1: There you go. Showing you not what what not to do. Okay. So how are you finding Canterbury? Oh, it's great, actually. I, I was here before for the CA a couple of years ago, and... Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a lovely place and there is a lot of archaeology and history. So it's a really nice place to spend some time. The department actually is uh, in, very interesting. It I f- doesn't look very nice from the outside, but the, 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 the <laughs> offices are great. Yeah. <laughs> offices are really nice. It's, what, it's what's on the inside that counts,
0: you yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> have you been to, have you checked out the cathedral at all? Or have you been to the cathedral? Uh, and...
1: I, I went to the cathedral last time. And uh, so this time I would like to go to the um, uh, what is it called? Oh, Saint Augustine's Abbey. Saint Augustine. Exactly. Yeah. I would really like to go to visit that uh, this time. So hopefully there would be time to go to go yeah. and visit that too. Hopefully the weather stays okay. It's got a bit cloudier now,
0: but we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, yesterday was quite a nice day, so yeah, hopefully yeah. it will stay through. Because you
1: come down from Leeds, uh, how long does it take? Uh, well, it's two hours and a half to London, and then another. About an hour from from London to can, can-, can-, can- Canterbury. How
0: long have you been up in Leeds now?
1: I, well, I've been living there for since two thousand, since uh, June two thousand sixteen. So it's yes, a bit more than uh, than two years, actually, almost three years. Okay. And uh, well, I, I just moved there when I was still finishing my PhD in Leicester because my partner she's uh, she's fin- she was finishing her PhD at the time. Now she's a lecturer at the University of Leeds School of Law. So. Different kind of, but yeah, so I moved there and um, so I finished my PhD there. And then, uh, well, last year, as well in 2017, 2018, and early 2018, let's say I spent it like application doing application around, and then I finally got this um little position in Leeds, which is a teaching fellowship. But it's fun because it it's basically I'm teaching for I'm doing the seminars for three modules and uh, it's good fun. I mean the students are really engaged. It's a it's a nice environment and uh, and I, I I get get a lot of freedom also which is good. So I can always start with a bit of a reception. You know and I don't know I put gladiator in or I put uh, there was a, a during the first semester I, there was a module about ancient empires and uh, I've been using uh, for instance. Uh, um, Frank Miller 300 to you know to 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 discuss with the students you now the impression of the Persians the, the sort okay. of different ways the Persian were depicted and uh, in ancient days and in the modern reinterpretation by Miller so yeah it's fun you can get a lot of uh, uh you know good idea. it's fun because you get you you get to decide basically the sort of uh, the mood of the of the class at yeah, the beginning yeah. and you set the mood and then uh, it's uh You can take it on from there, yeah. Yeah, nice. Because you've been firing
0: off the publications in recent months as well, haven't you? You've got, so you've got your article out in Britannia now, yeah. uh, and you've got the book about Roman Leicester. Yes. now uh, If we start with the Britannia article, what's, what's that all about?
1: Yeah, well, that's about um, the reception of Roman Bath in, uh, in the 18th century. So it's basically, I was fascinated by the way uh, antiquarians started to look at the bath, at the Roman bath, and... Uh, started to try to understand the mechanism, the the functioning of these facilities. And, uh, well, it's a, it's, a really, it's a really interesting story. You, you start from the... Well, the, the article basically is using the city of Bath as a case study mainly. So I've been going through several um, local antiquarians and the, the discoveries there. And the way these, these, these discoveries actually started to construct an idea of the the Roman bath in Britain, and um, in particular, there is a, a couple of uh, of elements that are significant. Is the the sort of the perception of the hypocaust was a very significant part of it because it's um, so. The idea of the hypocaust was not very well understood in the in, by the antiquarians, and uh, this was due partly to the difficulties of the passage in Vitruvius about the bath. So it's in book five. And so this sort of confusion that this very complex uh, wording used by Vitruvius forced the antiquarian to actually look at the at the material, at the material culture, at the, at the, at the physical remains of the bath to try to disentangle this complexity yeah. somehow. And so it is significant that already in the very early reports published in the Philosophical Transactions. You get this uh, this interest for the very for the details really of the functioning of these facilities, and they 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 start from the very beginning to draw the buildings and uh, and uh, some architectural details such as the the box flue tiles, for instance. And nevertheless, so there were different opinions, and you can really trace back the sort of the um, the development of these uh, of the the of the scholarship about the bath in in England and uh from the very beginning it seems to be uh more about the technical details than about the cultural aspects of the bath mm. and this is something very interesting because it it seems to have remained uh like that for a very long time it didn't really change very much e- even in the 20th century to be honest like the this sort of idea that you know the baths are the quintessential roman building and that uh well, there is very little to say about them, in a way, yeah, in a yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, it's just like the the interesting part is trying to understand how they function and uh, the function of the different rooms and the hypocaust and how the heating system was uh, was uh, was organized. So yes, it's uh, it, it, it's about the development of this idea and the 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 the, the sort of bias that the, we we still have towards the bath, in a sense. This sort of idea that there is very little to say about them because they were like the most common and more, well. Very very widespread type of building. Yeah, so I've been going through a lot of interesting uh, early archaeological reports and uh, early publications. There is uh, there is Tucheli in particular. This is uh, this is one of the most famous uh, antiquarians of the eighteenth century that provides this um, this uh, reconstruction of the hippocampus and is uh, is it is a very uh ingenious although completely misleading because he <laughs> he thinks that basically in his reconstruction the floor was built uh with um, a layer of tiles and then these box flu tiles arranged in a sort of uh, yeah, it's difficult to explain on yeah, the, yeah, on yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they they seems to form like a like a ne- like a network or something Underneath, and uh, and this this very very bizarre reconstruction of it, was based on uh, um, some very peculiar um, structure found in, in the city of Bath. So, we have like a couple of of examples uh, in Bath where actually the the hypocaust is built in a way that allowed to probably to, to make the floor lighter basically. They added an extra um, layer of box flue tiles. Underneath the floor, and then it was covered with this, with a, with, a, with with tiles. So it's a bit complex to explain in mean, without an image, but it's basically uh, it was a, something very peculiar to Bath. We don't have any other example in Roman Britain, and uh, there are two examples in Bath, and clearly this was the sort of this is what inspired Stacley to do that to come out with that reconstruction and. It was misleading, although it was actually based on a real archaeological evidence. So, mm. it, 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 the, the issue there was that Stuckley exactly assumed that that was actually the way, in general, how, 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 how the hippocast should be which should, were actually built, and uh, and so this is one of the things that I managed to disentangle, going back to looking at these reports and publications, and uh, and there is also an unpublished um, count of. Dedicated entirely to the bath, that was uh, presented at the Society of Antiquaries in the, I think in sixteen, in sorry seventeen sixty six, wow, something like that. It was uh, it was by Stakel just bef- just a few years before he died, so it was already in his sixties when he presented his paper. But it was not very well received apparently because it was never published in the in the Transactions. So so it seems like, in a way that there was not much an interest for the. For the bath, or at least they were. As I said before, there was this idea that, you know, there is little to say about the bath. They were there. They, they, the Romans loved them, and uh, and uh, and this is like kind of a a, a given. On the other hand, uh, at some point there was another influence that started to 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 appear and to become very significant. Um, and that influence was the a wall painting, or actually an alleged wall painting, that was allegedly found in the bath of Titus in Rome. So there is an interesting story there. So I came across this one because uh, Charles Cameron, this uh, Scottish architect, which would later became the architect of Catherine the Great. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Empress of Russia. Of So uh, this guy became famous. He didn't probably even build anything in his entire life, but he became famous because of this book, which is called The Bath of the Romans, explained and illustrated and uh, the idea of the book was basically to go into Rome and to record the major term, eh, the, the major bathhouses, imperial bath in Rome. And he made a really spectacular book. It's an infolio, so it's a huge thing. And um, rich, uh, very luxurious illustrations. And among these illustrations, there is this little uh, image that is presented as um a paintings from the bath of Titus. And basically um, Cameron is using this image to explain the functioning of the bath. He say, so the bath had uh, these three vases hmm? because um, Vitruvius used the word Aenea. Aenea are the translation of aeneum is a cauldron or a, a bronze vase. Hmm? And so it was interpreted in the middle, in the, in the Renaissance. So the Renaissance in the Renaissance, basically, they started to think about these vases as, as real vases, while in, in reality they were probably tanks. Mm-hmm. Mm. They were almost certainly tanks. Mm. So these were translated as, uh, as uh, vases. And Cameron says, so to understand better the function and the, the way these vases were organized, you can actually, it's very useful to look at these at uh, wall paintings from Rome. So I started to look into it, and I, I I was really intrigued because the the image in itself is uh, is clearly not Roman; it's uh, it's uh, something else. And so I I found out that really uh, the original image was published in uh, in Venice in the mid sixteenth century okay. in this uh, in this treaty on balneology. It's called the Balneus. So. That image was used to illustrate one of the many uh, treatises that are collected in this. uh, It's an anthology, basically. Mm -hmm. So, in this anthology, you get this illustration, and uh, there is just a very brief text on top of it. It says the bath, the sort of a a reconstruction of the way the baths were built in antiquity, basically. And so, I started to track down the author of this illustration, and uh, I started to to realize the impact that this image had, in, especially in the 18th century. So, just to make it very short, the image was, uh, um, was uh, designed by this architect called Rusconi, a Venetian architect, and uh, was published in the, in the, in the De Balneis, but was originally planned for an edition of uh, Vitruvius, a translation of Vitruvius. And then what happened is that, well, the translation never really happened, because uh, a bit of a complex situation in which the author was not uh, confident anymore about his own work, basically, and the publisher didn't want to risk because there were many other more famous and uh, and uh, influential in translations that they came out in the meanwhile, so um, it was not published. But there were like this group of images that he produced for the for this for this work, and one of these was probably the, the one published in the Balneys. so. Times goes by and, uh, well, the, the Balinists kind of remain possibly a book uh, used by physicians mainly, because it's, uh, it's, it's about the, the medical qualities of the bath. And uh, and then what happened is that at the very beginning of the 18th century, uh, there is a publication, an Italian publication, The Raccolta di Statue Antiche Moderne, which is a very fascinating book published by Domenico de Rossi and uh, the author of the of the text that accompanies the illustration is uh, um, the, the, is very richly illustrated, this book, is Paolo Alessandri Maffei. And uh, so the book basically is a compendium of illustration of classical statues. But at the very beginning of the book, there is this, the same illustration that I mentioned before. So and um and if you go at the end of the book where actually there is a um a, a discussion of the decorations of the book as 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 Alessandro Maffei calls it he presents that image as a roman wall painting found in the bath of titus and he says that he actually saw that image among the drawings of the museo cartaceo uh, by cassiano del pozzo so Cassiano Dal Pozzo is, is one of the most important uh, 17th century antiquarian, and he, he created this uh, paper museum, the, 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 the Museo Cartaccio, which contained more than 7,000 illustrations, drawings, etchings, with everything, and uh, is now mostly in England, actually, because it was sold um, to the king of England in the 18th century. But the fascinating thing is that um this collection is not just about antiquities, it covers all sorts of different sections of knowledge, different branches of knowledge. And um and I was uh, assured that actually this particular image was not in the uh, among the, 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 the surviving collections of the of the Dal Pozzo corpus really. So the Amanda Claridge told me specifically that, that she's the editor of this new major work on uh, that is trying to catalog in the, the the collection so he told me that she, she was sure that the drawing was not among it, among the antiqui antiquity section of the collection and um, and so basically the, the 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 thing is that we we cannot really be sure about what really happened we know that the drawing was published in the in the mid 16th century that probably Castello del Pozzo owned that that particular uh, woodcut because that's what it was in the 17th century and it perhaps ended up in the part of his collection that was owned by the Pope at the time, which was um, uh, Albani it's perhaps the case then that, that, that Maffei actually saw that illustration in the, co- in the collection of the Pope and we don't know, he, he, he might have actually thought that that was a real wall painting, that it was a real copy of a wall painting or he might actually made it up himself. I'm more inclined to believe that he actually thought that it was real. Mm-hmm. So that was no forgery at all here. So it was just a, it was just by chance that he actually found that drawings and uh, he probably didn't realize that it was uh, just a you know something made in the 16th century. He thought it might have been a copy of a Roman world painting. And so that is the beginning of this huge story about this this image that, it was published in, this, uh, in the Raccolta di Stato Antiche, and uh, from there it just like spread all over. It becomes like uh, the reference image for everyone that is talking about Roman bath. And uh, and Cameron, that's the reason. That's the reason why Cameron included it in his work because it was uh, the perfect explanation for uh, the the, the account of Vitruvius. And actually, it was originally intended as an explanation for the account of Vitruvius. So it makes sense that it it includes everything you want to know, basically, about the bath. It was all wrong, but it was still uh, (laughs) very, very uh, in line with what what Vitruvius says. And so that is one of the other sources that kind of influenced the the study of Roman bath in Britain in the 18th century. It was certainly known to many Arctic antiquarians in Britain and yes the story ends well the, the end of the article is basically trying to uh, wrapping everything up and say and see also how the um, if there was an, an influence in the 18th century bath if the original roman bath had, had any impact in the 18th century mm-hmm. bathhouses actually i found very little influence on the on the real buildings and uh, the thing is that i guess the, this, the the reason for that is that it was more about you know the the, the personal uh, the personalities that really ask for this bath and the 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 decision of the architect so there was not really like a, a standard model to follow so everybody was actually creating his own personal private bath I mean we are talking about private baths that were mostly designed to be cold bath because at the time the cold bathing was considered like very healthy and Obviously, this is not like it's a very it's a simplification. It changed over time, but in the 18th century, especially, there was this idea that cold bathing was the way to cure all sorts of things, and so many many members of the elite had their had bathhouses built in their estates. But as I say, very little influence on the from the from the Roman bathhouse and these, these buildings. And uh, the, the interesting thing, though, is that. There are like um some of the some of the villas that were built at the time were actually constructed with a hippocast. So there is this place, uh West Wycombe Park in Buckinghamshire and uh it was built in seventeen four in the seventeen forties and uh, it's fascinating because so the the, the structure, the, the the way they they created this hypocaust to heat the villa was actually based on a real bathhouse, or at least a real hypocaust that was found in Lincoln in 1739. So this you have a very nice um, sort of reception of, a, of an archaeological uh, discovery. So this building was found in 1739. A, it was depicted by uh, Virtue, which was the illustrator of the Society of Antiquaries at the time, and uh, clearly, you know, was uh, greatly appreciated as a as a piece of antiquity. So and so, the the, the the owner of this house decided to use it as a model for the bath the the hippo of his own house.
0: In a nutshell, then. <laughs>
1: Okay, okay. You're going to cut a little bit of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good stuff. Good stuff.
0: Um, I mean, the, the interesting thing that struck me, though, is just the fact that you're talking about the the, the folio book um, <laughs> in terms of, like, the drawing and stuff, because, I mean, no, I mean, that works as a nice little segue, though, into your other recent publication, which is the, the Roman Lester book, which you are, you have contributed to not only in terms of Content, but also into as being an, the artist for it or one of the artists for it, at least because some I mean, of the drawings take around people as well, right? But like you're the front cover and. No, like, I did you know,
1: all the illustrations. Oh, the illustrations. Okay, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, I did all the illustration because it was a uh, well, it was a fantastic project there because I got so we have been. I was involved with this uh, outreach project at the University mm-hmm. of Leicester for a while, and uh, and the yeah the outcome the main outcome of this project was this book basically. It was really gr- great to to work with Sarah Scott, which is the the, the 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 project coordinator. Really, she she was really fantastic all the way through. And I I think like well, obviously I love to work with the kids, but working on the book was fantastic because I had a chance to. I had a lot of freedom basically. I was mm-hmm. they just told me, okay, you create a narrative and make the an illustration, and that was it. Obviously. I had to do a lot of research on, on the archaeology before, because the, the idea is this, to provide a book that is offering both a, a narrative, so a story, really, with the illustration, and a, an educational session. So each chapter is structured with an illustration, narrative, and then the educational part that is kind of trying to explain some of the the, the, the issues that are raised in the narrative, really. And uh, it's giving a bit of context as well. So a lot of research done, obviously, and uh, there was like a, it was a slow process at the beginning. I was trying to get my head around the the way to actually create a narrative that was somehow coherent, but that was like at least four four hundred years long. So I had to find a, an excamotage basically yeah, somewhere yeah. to some a way to. To, to To make a, a character that could actually last that long in order to give a sort of continuity to the to the story, and so the idea came that to have a local god Maglus, to become the main character that is actually telling the story and so we start the story in the pre conquest period really, and uh, there is this sort of bucolic uh, uh, well, it's not really bucolic. It's kind of nasty as well because it's a uh, very muddy. I mean, the the, the Iron Age settlement in uh, in Leicester was definitely quite muddy. And uh, in a in a way, there is a strong bond between the uh, the people and the local god and Maglus. And in particular, there is this this uh, this boy, Senedus, that is particularly keen in the sort of of um, is, is particularly uh, is worshipping uh, Maglus very much. And so the relationship the two, between the two is uh, is positive at the beginning, but then, so Senados kind of grow up to become very reckless and uh, and uh, well and and aggressive as well in a way. So what happened is that when the war comes and there is a sort of description of the of the war about the the, the sort of way that the people in Leicester would have actually learn about the the things that were happening in the south. Really, you know that... the. the the coming of the the Romans these people that you know Maglus actually had met before because it was a it was in the it was there when Caesar actually arrived for the first time but you see i I've tried to you know to 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 create this sort of feeling of expectation in the village really and uh, when the Romans finally come they they arrive i mean the thing is that i I try to use like a a very plain language to describe them without emphasizing anything that will have been I mean I try to emphasize the things that will have been kind of uh new and uh and surprising and also looking a bit off style to the people that were in the, in the village so when the romans arrived then one of them is actually senators and he's uh is going towards the, his own house basically but he's dressed up as a roman soldier so Obviously, his mother and his sister—they don't really recognize him. And there is this this sort of trick that I use to 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 address the the possibility that some of the locals actually, you know, started to to wanted to fight the the invaders, but then became quite easily, quite quickly absorbed into the the, the Roman army. Actually, so that that's the second chapter. <laughs> We're not going to go through all of them together, but, but the idea is then basically. To follow the the development of the Roman city, and uh, and we see you know the, the, we, we we follow the, this family for a while, and then we get we we lose them really because we the, the you know the centuries are going by, and um, and then we, we we are actually engaging with other aspects of the of the lives in Leicester in Roman Leicester. So there is this uh, so there is this this curse tablet that was found that is mentioning is the only mention of Maglus actually that we have, and uh, we don't really know if he was a river god or not, but I made it a river god and uh and so in this uh, in this, this in this uh in this chapter where where when i actually when i actually used the the, the, the tablet i've tried to discuss to, to to approach let's say the issues with the with the slaves really which was the something that i really i really care about obviously. And uh, in the in this tablet, in this curse tablet, so it's, it's basically is a list of names of possible uh, stealers, of possible thieves, of, of the possible people that I had taken away this cloak from one from one guy. And among these li- the names of the, on the list, there is a a, a female name, Nigella. So Nigella literally means. Uh, Little um, girl with well, little girl with dark skin, we would be, and uh, and so I I imagine that this girl was probably coming from North Africa or something like that, and uh, I actually thought about e- Egypt actually, because the, there is a connection between Egypt and the place where the the cross table was found. Anyway, so I I introduced this character to really to 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 make explicit that. The sort of underlying violence that was so widespread and and dominated the ancient world, and you know, she, this 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 girl is just taken away from his fam- from her family. She's going through a various uh, slave markets, and then she's bought by is her owner basically. And this process was really, you know, it, I don't know, it felt it felt really um, right to to try to. Address this this issue in the book because it is something that you know you don't want to present the past as a as a as a nice place really because it it, it would have been really tough for most of the population even in a, in a place like Leicester like mm. Roman Leicester which was not like at the center of the empire obviously and uh, and so there is that and and then the the last chapters are basically trying to address some other issues. There is Christianity, obviously, because there is a cemetery near Leicester that has been interpreted as a Christian, Christian site. And uh, so Maglus is a bit skeptical about this. And then him, him, he start to, to become friends with this other guy, which is a... Well, he, they become friends when did, this person was, was a child, obviously, and then they... they did, it's called MAP. Which is actually a real uh, uh, Celtic name. MAP. Matt. Oh, nice. So he's uh, so they become friends and they and uh, the penultimate chapter, the Map is starting to starting to be very worried about the situation, the political situation in the in, in, the, in the empire, is telling Magnus some of the stories about these usurpers and the and the assassination of the various emperors and all the complex situation that was going on because he's is he's, he's working with the soldiers, so he's he obviously he's has access to a lot of information although second hand, obviously. But um, at some point he decided to leave, and so ask also Magnus if he want to come to go with him, and uh, I don't know how. I mean, obviously this is just a a story, but so Magnus decided to remain for to 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 protect basically the the children of the people that will not be will not been able to leave. Mm. And so the last chapter is uh, is dedicated to the post Roman Roman Britain. Let's say if you want to say that it's about the, the different feeling that the ruins of the some of the buildings and the 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 the, the changes that brought by by different people coming and. Uh, and uh, all this, the kind of combination of all the new that you will have actually found in a, in a place like Leicester during the the sixth century or well the fifth century, and then later on, obviously. Yeah, I think the the last chapter is actually one of my favorites because it kind of creates that 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 idea of continuity, and uh, and so the last sentence is basically, "I have now a new name that you will forget one more." once more and mm-hmm. it, it's kind of saying that you know i'll always be here you are going to change your ways of doing things but you know that sort of relationship between me and you is gonna remain and uh yeah that's uh, the more things change the more they stay the same yes you know? absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh,
0: because i mean you do i mean just more widely i know you're quite into your drawing you also do you write short stories and poetry as well is that something you've done before where you've crossed over the divide between your kind of academic life and what you do in that regard? Or do you prefer to keep that, that separate? Mm. I mean, I'm quite interested in how people's interests outside of academia, outside of archaeology uh, intertwine with what they do. So yeah, I mean like prior to this book, did you, was there much a crossover for, or is there, is this something new for you? And also, is this something you'd like to do more of in the future?
1: Well, I think it, it's a, it's a fantastic, opportunity to, to combine the two things really, and uh, I've been doing some theoretical work on it, like on this process and uh, so I there is a book that is probably coming out in the next three or four months I, I wrote a, a chapter of the book it's an edited volume obviously. and, um, and my, my chapter was uh, I wrote it together with uh, Victoria Whit- Whitford which is uh, an author she's, she's been publishing many books set in the Anglo-Saxon period and so what we did was to so she wrote a, a short vignette basically like a sh- very short story and uh, and I did the illustrations of so it. So I I concentrated the story into six, no, seven plates basically. Seven uh, illustrations and uh, and uh, and then we started to discuss, you know, the sort of process that is behind the the creative process behind this and uh, and the the way we we kind of interacted and the, the sort of the sort of very peculiar position that we are in because we are both academics as well, so on one side we we, we approaches the past from a, from a scientific point of view well, that's, uh, well as much as that can be, and then from the other, we try to engage with it in a creative creative way so very interesting exercise to try to reflect and and think about the process and how this actually is, um, can actually help from an from an academic point of view mm. because when you recreate the past when you need to engage in the past in the in a the, in the narrative way you you are looking at stuff that you will not be uh, looking at otherwise mm. and uh, so you need to do to find out about details that you you will have not thought about if you were to you know oblige to think about it because you have to draw it or to to describe it yeah. in, in 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 the text so it is a very Positive process, I think. It, I think it's underestimated as a as a, as a research technique, really. And uh, so, writing about the past is it can actually really be very productive from a research point of view. I mean, it's kind of adding um, in the art in the in this chapter. We I, I say that basically, it's like it's like looking at I don't know at an archaeological site through different lens. Yeah. So you you clearly see the things that you would not normally. Uh, identify without these sort of new eyes that you need to yeah. to look at the at the past in that way
0: I've tried doing that with um, assignments for modules like being a bit more creative I got them in Roman Britain to do a, they had to do 500 words and, or well, the limit was 500 words, but they had to do it as a Twitter feed uh, as somebody experiencing an event in Romano-British history so they had to try and get into the head of somebody going through that, but then presented like social media which was quite it worked quite well actually it <laughs> was really uh, cool. yeah but i think there's something to be said about like creative assignments because the other thing as well is you know it's kind of horses for horses really like some people are better actually at basically writing short stories than they are at writing an essay if that makes sense in yeah. terms of like different people have different skill sets and as you say it's looking at the past through a different lens and it's quite interesting how you can bring out people's different skills by getting them to look at the past in different ways and they might discover in some respects that they're actually quite good at doing things they didn't realize before like writing a short story about it or you know writing a kind of account on social media or whatever i mean just more broadly do you think that's something that we should see more of in universities like in archaeology classics ancient history departments giving people assignments that aren't just simply essay-based but actually, a bit more creative. I mean, obviously, you still have to write essays because they're kind of the bread and butter if you go on yeah. to be an academic of producing an article or a book or whatever. But do you think there's there should be more of that that goes on in terms of allowing people to kind of flex their artistic muscles?
1: Oh well, that would be really great. I mean, obviously, it's difficult to because you don't you need to find a way to allow everybody to express something. You know, it's uh, it's clearly like many people are very are afraid of engaging with you know creativity in any form because they, they you know for some reason they believe they're not they've not been trained enough or they, they, they don't feel good enough. There are all sort of reactions to that and it's totally understandable. So I think there should be uh, some research done on the way you can actually um, attract people attract people to this form of creative writing or creative uh, engagement with the past in a way that is actually accessible to everybody. And uh, so there are there are actually ways to do it. I mean, I was at this uh, workshop in October. It was really cool about comics and uh, and the uh, the ancient war. Oh, I saw that. I want to get that. Was no. yeah, it, it was in mm. London, and uh, I part of it was basically well, obviously everybody was talking about different papers, different comics that are you know referencing the ancient war or whatever. But th- at the end, we got this workshop uh, in which we. So there was a, a comic artist that was guiding us to create a short comic, basically. And obviously, I, I, I was kind of, you know, I knew how to move, what to do, but it was very effective for everybody, really. You like, I don't
0: need to be told. No, that. no, I mean, no, I mean that
1: for me, it was kind yeah, of yeah. interesting to see how this guy was able to um, take people that never had... You know, and a, a chance to draw before or to create a a, a comic before, and uh, and everybody got involved. Everybody was actually drawing and creating a comic out of it. So it was fantastic to see that. So there is a, a way to do it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There is a possibility to be actually use uh, to 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 channel the creativity of people in that sense. And I think it would be really fantastic to have something like that in the context of the study of the action board because it's uh, as i said before it opens up windows toward the past that are really different from the one we are used to look at yeah. uh, from and uh, you you need to focus on details as i say that are usually those that you forget and you don't or you don't consider like yeah. the way the people are dressed the, the the how cold a day was uh, if if you know how how often you had you had to eat or to to keep you going basically because yeah. maybe you're doing something really tough very very hard work and uh, I mean these kind of details that you know are actually very interesting and can be very useful in terms of the academics academic research, but are sometimes overlooked because they they really the only way to get there is to through creativity sometimes yeah it's this whole taking a creative approach and having to put yourselves in the
0: shoes of people in the past, is that what led you down the sensory route? Because you do a lot now in terms of looking at the senses in the ancient world. And obviously, if you're going to write a, a fictional piece based on the ancient ancient world, you need to take a lot of that stuff into account, like the smells, the noises, the, the how things feel when you touch them, etc., was that something? Is that something that's kind of grown out of you doing the the writing, the stories, the poetry, etc., or was that kind of already there?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's something that um, so, somehow developed at the same time as my interest for the creative engagement with the past. And uh, but it was crucial for the book. So my sensory interest, like my interest in the in the sensory of the past, was clearly you know something that had. Added a lot to the to the quality of the book, especially in the in one chapter. Is one chapter in which the the this local god is visiting the bathhouse of Roman Leicester, which was built by Adrian. So it's a uh, built by Adrian. Was uh, the, he put the money for it? <laughs> <laughs> just Adrian there, brick by brick. Yeah. So it got so it gets in and uh, the inside of the building. Actually, you know, I was really. I i I felt like I had the chance really to use my research, the research I've done on the on the senses and the bath into 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 to, to create a very realistic vision of the interior of these facilities, which is not something that you mm. you can get easily because it's a it, you know is the is the is the sum of all different sort of of um sensory stimuli that you got inside this building. So you got the people, the smell of the people, the smell of the place, the smell of the water, the food that was you know sold inside the building, people that were screaming, people that were talking, and uh, and then you got also areas where they were probably quieter, more quiet, mm-hmm. and uh, where you get I don't know people maybe you know being more uh, intimate or, <laughs> or or people playing games and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then so the idea there was. That this local god that was so used to water, because it's a it's a river god, got to discover water once again, something completely new, and he, he seems to you know when he touched the, the the water, it's very hot, and he says it looks it, it, it was hot like blood, and he, he clearly you know there is this sort of transfiguration of the water, and he and and then the the, the end of this of this chapter is basically is basically him getting into this plunge bath and uh and is embraced by this water that he feels foreign to him. Mm. And then when he's in the water he realized finally that the war was really over because people started to really not to swim in the river anymore because that was something that, you know, uh, it was considered to be for the sick or for the for the savage. And then that was the new way of engaging with water. Nice. Yeah.
0: So, tell me a little bit then about how you came to do Roman archaeology. You're the first Italian I've had on the show. Means, <laughs> so I'm just going to assume it was like I just I just saw like an amphitheater that used to be outside of my house, and uh, that got me into it. But, so, I did, but how I, how did you end up going down the route of um, ancient history, archaeology, Roman period in particular?
1: Well, I it was my grandmother. She was uh, when I was a kid, like well, I was really young. I think. I don't know it was probably 6 or 5 or 6. And uh, so my I'm from Parma in the north of Italy but my grandmother was living in Florence. And uh, I was going to visit her and uh, often really and uh, she used to bring me so we 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 were taking the bus and going up to the hills of Florence there is a place called Fiesole and um, and there well there is a fantastic roman site there and um, it's a, it's a theater, and uh, there is also a saddle bath. Actually, but I couldn't know at the time. But little did you know. Yeah, probably. I don't know. So well, the thing is that there was like we were going there, and uh, she was uh, buying me this fantastic focaccia that were selling in there, and then. In we we went to the to the to the archaeological site and you know that was my favorite thing in you know whenever i could, i was in florence i always wanted to go there it was just like i was obsessed with that place i remember the taste of the stones right a sensory experience <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, kids are... Yeah. I mean, maybe I was a bit younger than six years old. Maybe I was still licking still, stones. Still, I was going to say, you still lick the stones. Yeah. <laughs> I was probably four. I don't know. I've, to, I've
0: been told before, like, if you want to interpret something, try and use all your senses to Absolutely. touch the, the But place. it was
1: something special, really. I I, I still remember the, the me jumping from a stone to another because obviously they were huge for me. Like, I was... You know, the scale of it was clearly different from the one... When I came back, like, recently, I, I couldn't really recognize the place because it's... It seems to be so small. And I, when I was a kid, I it was, it was a child. I was Instead, it was, seems to be like a, a huge place full of stones <laughs> and memories as well. So that was the thing that kicked it all off then? Yes, and, I think uh... it was really part of it. And I obviously, I wanted to become a, a paleontologist when I was a kid. Oh, didn't we all? All, all <laughs> of us. But then, uh, I don't know, just, uh, Yeah archaeology just kicked in
0: yeah. See, so you, you're at the university of bologna correct yes
1: i got i got my undergrad and master at the university of bologna and uh, and then i well i applied for the phd in leicester didn't get the scholarship uh, so i wait for another year and i the meanwhile i was doing all sorts of different odd jobs and everything and uh, i applied again didn't get the scholarship yeah. <laughs> but then at that point i had worked enough to get enough money for covering the first year so I started and uh, and yeah and then I just became a jack of all trades I was doing everything everything was coming oh, yeah. out really so yeah it was a bit of a jump I mean I will not do it again if I if I had to come back to go back and uh, and choose I would definitely not do it again but in oh, really? terms of well not not not, not. The PhD, definitely. The great experience I had in Leicester, le- definitely. But doing it without a scholarship has been really harsh. Yeah. Like, it was super difficult.
0: I did my I got a fee waiver for mine, but I didn't get any additional money for mm. it. So I did a bit of teaching when I started, but I ended up spending most of my time working uh, part-time in yeah. a garden centre, which was, I mean, in some respects, wasn't too bad. Because, I mean, as I say, because I didn't have to pay, so I wasn't quite so under the cost in terms ah, of okay. But I still need money to live. Yeah. But it was quite nice in some respects having a part-time job that was separate from academia mm. because it kind of got me out of the academic sphere. It gave me a break, like doing something different for a couple of days a week. That wasn't, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, no, I understand it's it's a lot to juggle. It's a lot to, to keep on top of. But um, it worked out well, though. You, yeah. And uh, and continuing to do so as well. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, if, we, if we just move to, to wrapping up now then, I mean, we talked about the, the things that have come out but so you've got the the article that's out now in Britannia and then the book Roman Lester is pretty much available from all, all good bookstores really I see I mean pretty much if you chuck it on chuck it into your google machine you go online and have a look I mean it comes up waterstones uh yeah it's, okay. get... it's
1: actually available I don't think it's available on Amazon yet unfortunately I actually we got this beautiful review from uh, Caroline Lawrence on Amazon oh, but no. that's it you can't really get the book from that yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Eventually though, yeah, right. yeah. I mean anyway as I say you can get it from, from most places yes. as well. And I, I, I got my signed coffee yesterday as of well. Course,
1: yeah, I can attest to cool. the fact that but particularly
0: <laughs> the the artwork is what I think really makes it. So really great. And the PhD, is that gonna come out at all? Is there any plans to do Yeah,
1: so that's uh, that's the thing. actually this talk that I gave in in here in Kent yesterday was a very good excuse to start working again on the on the thesis and now I really want to publish it now, like I'm going to start working on the book proposal when I get back, really. <laughs> because it's time, it's time. I don't want to get the thesis to get uh, out of date, really. You know, you need to have it, have it out now, really. So I, I'm really going to work on it. And uh, I now submitted this, the revised version of an article on the story that I told before about the the image. Okay. So basically, the, the Britannia article just hints at it uh, while I've wrote an entire book. <laughs> an entire article on this on the on the story of the image of the sixteenth century imagine the the sort of res- the the impact that it has on the history of uh of on the history of balneology and the, the studies of Roman bath really. Mm-hmm. So okay. that is probably gonna come out uh, next year, I guess. It's for the classical reception journals.
0: Oh nice. Okay, cool.
1: Oh so lots of stuff coming then. Lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Indeed. Nice. All right, well thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. That's great, David.